This episode of the Brown Vegan Podcast is brought to you by Ready, Set, Go Vegan. Are you ready to go vegan and don't know where to start? Check out ReadySetGoVegan.com for more information. Hey, it's Monique. I hope all is well. Thank you so much for tuning into the Brown Vegan Podcast, where I like to give you tips on how to start a vegan lifestyle that is simple, delicious, and long-term, and of course, bring you inspiring conversations from other vegans to help you get started on your journey. So I am super excited to bring you my next guest, who is Gail Roddy. She actually started a vegan journey over 25 years ago. It's been a long time for her as far as being a vegan. But I really, really appreciate her perspective because she's very open about her experiences. And she actually gives us permission not to feel so bad if things are not perfect and you're struggling in your journey. What I feel like happens in this conversation with Gail is she gives us permission to do the best we can each day and to not give up. That message is so powerful. At least it was powerful to me. And I'm so glad to be able to share this with you. So without further ado, I want to go ahead and jump right into the conversation with Gail Roddy. And of course, all of the show notes and everything that we mentioned in this episode can be found at brownvegan.com. Thank you so much, guys, for listening. I'll talk to you next week. Thank you so, so much for being on the podcast. How are you doing today? <laughs> I'm so wonderful, Monique Brown Vegan. So, <laughs> so happy to be here. Thank you. I really, really appreciate you taking the time out to share your story and your experiences so that we can help motivate other people to start their own vegan journeys. So, of course, because I'm so big on stories and I think that's what helps you know people transform their lives. I want to know, why did you start your vegan journey? Well, it went back to being a vegetarian. I started in 1980 when I was 27 years old. I wasn't feeling well, hadn't felt well for years. And at that time, I went through a very, very traumatic breakup of a relationship. And so I was struggling with the grief of that and the relief and joy of being out of a relationship that wasn't really healthy for me. So I started looking at all of my life. That, that breakup of that relationship prompted me to look at every aspect of my life, what was working, what was not working, things that I really hadn't asked myself before. And so I realized, one of the things I realized that I looked really good. I looked good. I was slender. I was 125 pounds. My hair was down to my waist. You know, guys were chasing me down the street. I mean, I was considered an attractive young black woman, but I didn't feel good. My, I didn't feel good in my body. I can't say anything was actually hurting. I wasn't in pain, but I just didn't feel good. And then I started thinking about it. It went back to when I was eating. After I would eat, I would just, you know, it would be a lot of just disruption. I just, my stomach was just in chaos. My head would hurt. And so after a while, I, when I was watching that, I said, there must be a connection here that every meal that I have, I don't feel good afterward. That cannot be right. And so someone told me, who happened to be a vegetarian, said, perhaps you don't process flesh. And he called it flesh. And I thought, flesh? That, that's like my arm, my leg, flesh. He said, no, no, anytime you eat the muscles and blood of an, of an animal, whether it's a human animal or a pig or a cow or a chicken, you're eating flesh. And boy, you could have knocked me over with a feather. I, I thought, of course. And so 
that spring of 1980, I decided to test the theory and I just went cold turkey, just stopped every kind of flesh food, eggs included. And within three days, within three days, I felt so much better. I couldn't believe it. Now, at first I'm thinking, okay, it was just mind over matter. You thought you would feel better. And so you did. So I went back to eating the chicken and the eggs and the gravy and everything. And within a week, I was right back almost feeling worse than I had during that three-day hiatus. And so that that just got me. It was like, okay, this is it. I want to feel good. I want to feel healthy. And so I went back to maybe that rest of the year. I may have had a chicken breast once or twice at my mother's house. But other than that, ever since the fall of 1980, I've been flesh Free, including eggs. Now, dairy, cheese, and ice cream and butter are a little bit different. But, but the actual flesh foods, I totally, fish everything, I totally eliminated by the end of 1980. Wow. Because, okay, because I'm thinking about how how that looked back in the 80s. Because a lot of times people always say that, you know, veganism and vegetarianism these days is so, quote unquote, easy. Because mm-hmm. there's so many alternatives, there's so much information out there. But back in 1980, I'm sure you really didn't have a whole lot of resources. You didn't have a lot of people that you probably knew in your personal life that, you know, embraced a veganism or a vegetarian life, except for the person who helped you. Uh, is, that the, is that the case for you? Because a lot of people say that. Yeah. That, it's very true. And in, and in fact, when I was still in that relationship a couple of years before, I had stumbled on a book. This was, I know you weren't even born there, but, <laughs> but this was when running, when running was first getting going, when Nike first came out with the running shoes in the late 70s. So anyway, th- there were tons of books out about, about exercising and taking care of your health in, a, in a, a, a way that just hadn't been talked about before. I mean, there have always been runners and stuff like that, but now it was becoming mainstream, like in 1977, 78. So around that time, I stumbled on a book written by an MD. I can't believe it now when I think about it. I don't even remember his name, but I stumbled upon it at the bookstore, and he talked about fasting. And everything he said about fasting, how we rest every organ of our body, we rest our our feet, we rest our, our hearts, but we never rest our digestive systems. Mm. They are on call 24-7. Even if you're not specifically eating in the middle of the night while you're sleeping, your last meal, your body is still trying to process it. And so everything he said just, oh, I was just astonished how much just plain common sense it made. And so I'm one of those people, especially back then when I was a lot younger, it was like, well, I'm going to try this. I, <laughs> since he says it makes sense, I'm going to just do it. And so I did. I went on a fast in 1978 and I couldn't even make it 24 hours. I was so sick. And the doctor said that would happen. He said that the reason you're going to be sick is because of all the toxins that have built up in your body, whatever age you are, it doesn't matter. And they're going to start coming out. Your mm. body's going to try to eliminate them. So I'm saying that to say that my real health journey kind of started then. And then it just evolved into hearing that person say, maybe you can't process meat. Maybe you need to try to get off meat. 
And so after that, it was just one thing after another. I, the next year or so after I stopped eating flesh food, I stopped taking the pill. I, I wasn't taking very many phar pharmaceuticals. I had a seasonal allergy that would come on every summer, and I was taking prednisone for that. I just told my doctor, I don't want any more of that stuff. So I stopped taking any kind of under, over, through-the-counter pharmaceuticals. And because I just, it, everything was just lining up in my consciousness that you have got to really listen to your body and your own self rather than what all the stuff you've been told your whole life about, you know, about your body, about your mind, about your food. You have to really research it. And that hasn't stopped until this day. I'm still researching it. Wow, that's amazing. I love that that you mentioned that too, because I feel like that's how it should always be in this lifestyle. A lot of times, and I know from my own experience, you get kind of complacent and you're used to, well, this is how I've been doing it. I mean, I'm transitioning. I'm a vegan now. And you really, you're so right. You have to continuously research and learn new things so that you can you know, stay up to date and you can always improve your life. So I love that you mentioned that. So when did you become a vegan though? Because I know you were a vegetarian. Um, you said you started in 1980, but when did you transition to um, a vegan lifestyle? Well, I would say that was around the time Bill and I got married in 1990. You know, we, we had been friends for 10 years. I met him Right around that time, I was transitioning into a vegetarian, and he transitioned for a while as well. And so we were friends for that 10 years, and then we got married in 1990, and that was when I decided, okay, now I really want to step it up. I want to move into a vegan. And see, the thing is, through that 10 years, Monique, it wasn't like I was pigging out on cheese and dairy, you know, butter and things like that. I just wasn't totally abstaining from them. Mm -hmm. But so I so to say that, well, when did you really become vegan? It's hard to say because I think definitely since 1990 is when I officially said I'm a vegan. But I've, I've struggled with it for years. You know, to go, I'll be off dairy for years and then I'll go through a period, whether it's some kind of emotional upset or I just let myself get lazy or what. But I'll go through maybe a few weeks or a couple months where I'm just eating butter on popcorn. Or if I go over to someone's house and they've made a vegetarian lasagna and, and it has cheese in it, I might eat a piece. So to say that, well, when did you actually become vegan? I can't really say that there's any date or anything like that. It's still a process that I'm going through. It's just getting less and less of as I get older that I even care to indulge. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think, wow, I'm so glad you said this too, because I think it's very important to let people know that it truly, truly is a process. It's a journey. This is not something that happens overnight. Just like you said, you know, you have some of your struggles and you go through some things. The same thing happens to me. And I feel like there's not enough dialogue about that. I feel like we're afraid of, you know, there's so much shame surrounding the fact that we have issues with food, you know, as far as like, you know, having cheese occasionally or having, um, like you said, butter on popcorn or, you know, you, you're with a family member and they offer you some cake or something, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I think mm -hmm. that that conversation isn't had enough and that's something that I'm really want to work on. And this is why I, I think this podcast is so important. I, you have some amazing advice. We've already talked about this before, and I was so glad to have you on my um, website to give an interview last year. When, but I really want to know, like, what do you suggest for people who are having 
you know, they feel like the, the shame, having issues with food and, um, you know, they want to make a complete transition, but they're just being so hard on themselves that they can't move forward. What do you suggest that um, a person like that do? Well, of course, I'm going to say don't be hard on yourself, but that's kind of like, you know, there's an elephant in the room and somebody tells you don't look at the elephant you know, or, <laughs> yeah. or don't think of elephants. So it, it's a difficult thing. The only thing that has helped me is to just, it's really only happened in the last five years where I've just stopped beating myself up about it because I was of the mindset and many people are who are on this journey are of that mindset that you are going to eventually reach the promised land. Mm-hmm. You are going to eventually one day wake up and ah, uh-huh. yeah. suddenly I'm there. Now, I'm 62 years old and I have not reached that. And I realize that there is no such place. There is no such place. Now, those people that went vegan or have and have been vegan for 20 or 30 years or six months and are just absolutely there... Well, good for them. That's <laughs> wonderful. But I have just been, I have had, because of my personality issues with perfectionism, I have had to let that go. Mm-hmm. That there is just some goal that I've got to get to in this vegan thing. And if I don't get there, then I'm either lazy or crazy or, or something negative. I have finally gotten to the place where I've stopped doing that. Now, does that mean I don't want to be a vegan and eat this way? Yes. And I get up every morning saying that this is how I will live because this is how my body wants to live. Mm -hmm. My body and soul want to live this way. Because I I realized that so much of it in the past, I was caught up in my ego. My ego wanted to do this, get it done, and move on to the next thing. But my body and soul are looking at this as a passage through life, Mm. period. Mm -hmm. And so I had to let my ego go and follow my body and my spirit. And that's just, I don't know, Monique, if that's going to do the trick, so to speak, I don't know. All I do know is I feel so much better Mm -hmm. letting go of that perfectionist and that comparing myself with other people. I would do that a lot too. I would read about somebody who's been a vegan for 30 years or somebody who's been a vegan for even a year and has not had a morsel of cheese past their lips. And, and I would think, oh, uh-huh. I wish I could say that. Yeah, yeah. So, but you know what? I think there's more people like us out there than not. Like, I mean, I know we hear about the stories of people who, are doing really, really well on their journeys. But I think there's actually more people who are struggling on their journeys than not. The thing is, they're not talking about it. I <laughs> know that. It's kind of like a case. silence. Yes, we're like struggling in silence. Yeah, we think we're the only ones. We think it's, we're the, yes, we do. We really it's, do. It's like any other shame-based thing we put ourselves in. And that's what happens. We put ourselves in it. But any shame-based thing that we get caught up in we think that we're the only one, that everybody else that we encounter is doing much better or is doing okay or is doing it perfectly. Mm-hmm. But you're right. It's more the case of what we're just saying. 
than not. Most people are struggling on some level. Absolutely. And I think what you just said, you actually, by letting go and realizing that we're not going to be perfect in our journeys, I really believe that that advice is so important because you just basically gave us permission to live. That's what you did. And mm-hmm. not to stress about it. Because, I mean, and it's not saying it from a place of like making excuses of why you're not doing what quote unquote you're supposed to be doing it's not from a place of that what it really is boiled down to is like we're just not perfect it will never be perfect and I think so 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 many times people tell me they're like I tried it 30 times and I keep failing so I must not be doing it right do you hear that too I know you hear that I know you hear that and it's just like I keep trying I keep trying but no you didn't I I, I hate to put failure on it because I don't like I don't like that, but I don't have the the proper language for it. I don't know what to call it, but it's not failure. It's like life. <laughs> That's what it is. It's not failure, you know? So well, once, how do you once again, that? every uh-huh. day you get up, I mean, every day you get up, there's the chance that you're going to, to eat something wrong. I mean, you don't know how your day is going to go. And so it's not a failure because you didn't get up to to do that. You didn't get up to fail. You got up wanting to live whatever way you wanted to live and stuff happens stuff happens and that's where the ego comes in the ego thinks that i should have been able to control it Mm -hmm. if i couldn't control it then there's something wrong with me i was lazy i didn't try hard enough and i know that because i have done that to to varying degrees when i was a lot younger i really got into it as i got over 40 over 50 i got lesser into it but I'm telling you it really has been about the last five years where I had to say wait a minute I can't keep doing this I can't keep beating myself up and and assuming that one day I'm going to just hit nirvana and this is going to be done and I'm going to be able to just be perfect in this food see my thinking was once I get this done then I can move on to other things Mm -hmm. That was my thought, is that I've got to get this vegan journey down perfectly, because once I get it down perfectly, I won't have to think about it anymore, and then I can move on to Mm -hmm. other stuff. Well, it doesn't work like that, or at least it has not worked that way for me. Uh, Same here. (laughs) It It does not work like that. It just has not worked that way. Absolutely not. (laughs) So outside of like, of course, I mean, the struggles of beating yourself up is a huge struggle. Did you notice any other over the last, I guess, um, 10, 15 years, any other struggles that you had um, with your journey? And it can be like, you know, social struggle, you struggles with your family. It can be um, eating out, anything that kind of stands out as being an issue for you. Well, not so much in the last 15 or even 20 years, because Bill, Bill and I and our marriage, um, we were we became a little bit more isolated once we got married and we're going on our 25th anniversary in coming up in April. Oh, congrats. Congrats. Yeah. (laughs) So once, once I was with him and where I wasn't out there by myself, having to deal with family and friends, you know, we, once we got married, we were kind of, we, if we went out, we went out together, we stayed at home and cooked. So food was an issue that wasn't so public anymore like it was when I was a single young woman first starting. But, oh, yeah, I caught it in the 80s from all my friends and family. I, I, you know, I can tell the same story many can tell is that people thought I was crazy, 
especially being African-American. What's the matter with you? You're going to get sick. We eat meat and we came from meat and this, that and the other. And and oh, Gail's gone off the deep end. And, you know, then, of course, it's just all the negative things that people say that they think are absolute facts. And they expect you to sit there and listen to these facts and take them to heart. Yeah. And so that was that was a struggle. That was a struggle. But then as the years went by and Bill and I just became, uh, just were living our lives and eating how we wanted to eat, people just kind of, I don't know, they just, well, that's the way she is. That's the way they are. And they stopped fighting it. And now I don't have any trouble. I mean, veganism, of course, is more mainstream now. So when you say you eat vegan or you are a vegan, it, you don't get those stares so much anymore. I mean, I know you've probably known even in your journey, there are people that didn't even know what vegan meant. Now it's pretty hard to find somebody who doesn't know what the word means. Yeah, they have like, they may not, sometimes I get the confusion of like that between a vegetarian and vegan, but they have an idea. So yeah, I think we've come a long way in that because I think people have some idea for, or more, you know, likely to try. And, or at least not give us any problems about being who we are, right? <laughs> right. And there's so many there's so many challenges now. There are people who can't eat gluten, you know, and the, all of those things are in families now because I've had many people say that, oh, we've got vegetarians, we've got vegans, we've got people who don't eat gluten or can't have nuts. And so, you know, the, you go to these family dinners now and everybody either has to bring food for themselves or they have to make it clear that, I can't eat certain things. I will literally get sick and may end up in the emergency room. Yeah. So people people are more conscious of now. It's just not a matter of, oh, there they go again, being contrary. People people do understand now that it's, it is more than just a moral thing about not wanting to eat meat. Some of these things can really make people deathly ill, and, and family members have to be cognizant of that absolutely absolutely so how does your plate look these days i know when you probably started off it was probably a lot different than it is now because you have way more experience at it so how to like for instance what did you have for breakfast this morning for breakfast this morning i had my i usually drink every morning a glass of lemonade just weak lemonade just you know just a few drops of lemon in water and I like it cold. A lot of people like it warmed up at like a tea, but I prefer it a little colder than room temperature with just a little little half teaspoon of blackstrap molasses. And I drink that with the cayenne. So it's pretty much like the um, master cleanse. I have that in the morning, but it's not really the master cleanse, but it's lemon water, cayenne, and blackstrap molasses. And so I drink that. And then I had to make kale chips for a customer yesterday so they came out of the dehydrator this morning and so there were some left so I ate a couple of handfuls of that and then I had a banana maybe around 10 o'clock and that's all I've had so far today and I'm not hungry at all. So what does a typical dinner look like for you? Oh it might be I think tonight I might have a sweet potato I'll bake that and I have some broccoli some I have some kale left so I'll probably just saute that in some onion and garlic and coconut oil. I, I cook now almost exclusively with coconut oil. I used to use olive oil, but the coconut oil, I really need a lot of fat. I really need a lot of vegetable fat in my diet. I just really 
discovered in this last year. And so I'll have that, you know, sauteed in some coconut oil, and I'll pour that over the potato, and that will be dinner. Yeah. That will be it. So do you eat, is that one uh, sweet potato that you're eating, or do you eat a couple of them? Like- oh, it de- yeah, it depends on how big they are, one big one or two small ones, depending on, on what I have. But always some kind of green vegetable, broccoli, or I always have spinach or, or um, kale. Of course, I have kale all the time, just about. <laughs> So when push comes to shove, if I don't have anything else, I always have kale. And I love it. I, I love it in the kale chips. I love it raw in a salad. I love it sautéed in, in coconut oil and onion and garlic and a little sea salt. And so that will be that will be dinner. It's simple. And I, I mean, simple. that's that's what everyone's We're all eating that anyway. We're all eating spinach and kale and potatoes and all of those things. So I love how. You know, this, the more simple you keep it, it's inexpensive, too. <laughs> Absolutely. It's inexpensive. So let's go back to the fasting, because I know when we first started talking, um, you mentioned that you did a fast. And, of course, it you know, the first time it didn't do you didn't do very well with it because, um, you know, all the toxins need to come mm-hmm, out. Mm-hmm. So do you do you continue to fast these days? Is that something that's a part of your routine? Yes, I, I usually try to do one week every quarter. And, you know, technically, if you talk to some people, it's considered a feast, a juice feast yes. instead of a fast. You I've know? heard and, of that. And, yeah, yeah. and that's fine. You know, I don't quibble with people with words. They, they technically are right. Technically, a fast should be water. But I really like that you said that because I think that uh, feasting sounds like it's an abundance opposed to fasting is like being deprived. So I actually understand why that. That's right. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, it does. (laughs) That's I try to do that once a quarter uh, for a week. And then for years now, when I told you I was 62, when I was 50, I came up with the idea. Everyone, especially it seems like for women, 50 is a big birthday. And so the six months leading up to my 50th birthday, I was, everyone was asking me, well, what are you going to do? Where are you going to go? Are you going to go to Tahiti and blah, blah, blah. I said, well, (laughs) no, I'm not going to Tahiti. But I thought about what would really please me? What would make me feel really good as a birthday present to myself? So I decided I would do a 30-day juice feast for my birthday. My birthday's in October, so I would do it the whole month of September. And so that turned out to be such an eye-opener as far as, I mean, I had done 30-day fasts, not many times, but several times before that. And so it was no big deal to do it. But the whole psychological, spiritual thing of presenting that to myself for this big birthday was huge. It was just huge. And so then I did that every year, I think, for the next three years. So I did it 50 51, 52, 53. And then after that, I did just a modified one. I don't know. I kind of felt like I had done enough for those years that I didn't need to do another long one. I could have, but I just didn't feel like I needed to. So ever since then, now I just do a week before my birthday every year. And that's my birthday gift for myself. Love it. Yeah. Have you have you ever done more than 30 days at a time? Um, I don't think I've ever done more than 30 days at one time. And I've done tons of 10, 15, 21, but I don't think I've done over 30, not just on juice. I may have done 30 and then done a week, week before on fruit or a week after on fruit, something like that. But specifically juice and nothing else. I can't recall a time that I've done more than 30 days at one time. Yeah. 
So at this point, okay, because I know that when you first um, started your journey, it was definitely because you wanted to feel good, which I think is very relatable to most of us. We want to feel good. We want to look good. I know you look good, but you know what I mean? You want to really have like glowing skin and things like that and, and to feel good about yourself. So at this point in your journey, do you feel like it's more... Um, are you more on the ethical side? Is it more for like animal rights, human rights? Is it more holistic? Like, how does that look for you as far oh, okay. as, yeah. Well, it, it's all of it because when, um, I keep going back to that relationship that ended up, ended badly. We went to San Francisco that last year before, and I had never been to San Francisco and we went out on Fisherman's Wharf and we were going to have crabs, which I, I don't know if they still do this, but they did it back then. <laughs> and you'd go out there and you'd pick out a crab and they'd cook it right there for you and you could eat it. So now I'm still eating meat then. And I'm just thinking, oh, you know, this is going to be fun. What an experience. Oh, Monique, when they threw that crab into the boiling water and it screamed, I was just beside myself. First off, I wasn't about to eat it. And, and the guy, my boyfriend, was just like, are you out of your mind? But I couldn't. I, it had never occurred to me that a living creature thrown into a pot of boiling water would scream. I mean, it was a, it was a lob, lob. Wait a minute. Was it lobster or was crab? It was one of the two. Yeah. yeah I think it might have been lobster. I don't remember now. But the idea that something thrown into a pot of water would scream in agony. Well, of course, of course. But it had never occurred to me because I was a city girl. I didn't grow up on a farm where animals were slaughtered or anything like a lot of African-Americans grew up on a farm. And that was another thing. When I was 10, we visited my grandparents in rural Arkansas. That's where both my mother and father were from. But I grew up here in Minneapolis. And so we go down there to the farm. My mother says, I'm going out to get a chicken for dinner, for Sunday dinner. Mm -hmm. And so my brother and I run out there with her. We're, we're, I don't know what we thought. But, of course, my mother grabs the chicken and wrings its neck, lets it go, and it's running around the yard, you know, and finally dies. My brother and I were speechless. Yeah. We wouldn't eat the Now, this I'm about 10, 10, 11. My brother's 9. And we wouldn't eat that chicken. And my mother laughed at us. She said, where do you think the chickens in the supermarket come from? Or, or how, do they get, how do you think they get there? Mm -hmm. It had never occurred to me. So I'm saying all that to say that I did have instances before where I clearly understood the whole ethical things about animals being murdered for our eating pleasure and us not even realizing it. It's, it's one thing to eat hunters who hunt and they eat their game. But for the rest of us who never are in on the process of killing, I realized how, how awful that was, yeah. how awful that was. Yeah. But that was the turning point when, when that lobster screamed out in agony, I just thought, what am I doing? Yeah. Now it still took me another year or so after that to, to finally put all the pieces together. But for me, when people ask, why are you vegan? Is it because of animal rights? Is it because of this? It's all of it together it for really me. Is. Yeah, I agree with that. And I love how you, I mean, you actually went back to what we talked about when we first started talking about how it's a process. You know, mm -hmm. you made the connection with the lobster, but it still took a year. Mm -hmm. But sometimes I think life is all about 
planting seeds though. And that's my goal. I know that's your goal too. And you, the work that you do is just planting seeds because look what it leads you to look, Absolutely. look where we are because of seeds, you know, <laughs> seeing things that way. So I just love, love, love that. And I think that it should be just a very gentle process with ourselves and other people and how we treat them as well. So that's right. Yes. And it's much easier today. It really is because people are more aware. The seeds have been planted everywhere. And so people are there. They're much more aware than they were in 1980. I mean, it just, it's just light years away from it was then. I mean, it was hard. You got lots of ridicule, especially if you were African-American. It was just, you know, you were just considered just so bizarre and, yeah. and somewhat almost dangerous to be around. I remember I lost friends because they really just thought I was just crazy, mm-hmm. just crazy. Any resources, any, you know, books, websites, anything that you like to look at to get some, you know, inspiration or, you know, whatever you need from it. <laughs> well, I, I love this Facebook group that I'm in. I'm not in many groups, but this one, it's called I'm Vegan and I'm Black. It actually happens. These people have been very, just so supportive. The group is about, well, it's just under 4,000 and it is so there's so many knowledgeable young people that it just it just lifts my heart to see 30 year olds and 25 year olds who have been on the journey for you know since they were early teens and some of them are even my age and have been on the journey for 30 years and they've all come together and they're sharing their wisdom and that i mean that group is just i've never had support like this before ever yeah. So, so I got to give a yeah. plug for my peeps on there that it is a wonderful, wonderful, supportive group. Many, many knowledgeable people about everything about the health process. And they're always promoting products. I tried this product. What do you think about it? Have you tried it? And then you'll get 20 people who will tell you how good it is or how maybe they didn't like it so much. But you just get so much support that I look back and I wonder, how did I do it with all the the um, naysayers I, I got, I, I just, I don't know. You I were guess driven by that good what, feeling, though. You were that, you're driven by feeling good. <laughs> that's true. You just do that, and, and I guess it's just a matter of you do what you got to do. I mean, I hear mothers say that all the time, that you can probably relate to this, is how did I get these kids through this stage, you know, the, the baby stage and the teen stage, and you look back and you go, how did I do it? And I guess... You just got up every morning and put one foot in front of the other. I mean, I feel that it's, it's just I made it through. Now it's so much an easier path for those coming up behind me or those who are my age who are just starting. Because there's, there's many people I've encountered that are my age or in their 50s or late 40s who are starting. And it's just it's wonderful but it is so much easier for them. They have so much more support and help than I did. Yes. And, and I just love it. Yes, absolutely. So before we wrap up, definitely, please tell us how we can reach you. Um, tell us about a little bit about your one-woman show that you just wrapped up to. Um, tell us about your site, all of your, good, all of your information, because we really want to connect with you outside of this. Well, you can find me at gailroddy.com. That's my website. It's just my name, gailroddy.com. And uh, I have a one-woman play that I'm so excited about. It's just in this year I've become a playwright and an actress. And it's a six-act play that I conceived 
It's about women at various stages of their lives, and it's stories, stories about women and our connections with one another. And the coming to the well is the ancient symbol of how women used to congregate 2,000 years ago, before there was any telephones or internet. They used to meet at the well every morning because you had to draw water. You had to draw water from a communal well. And since there was only one bucket going down and up at a time, you were standing around, and I know you did what women do. We talked. We communicated. Because once you got that water and went back to camp, it was on. You might not get to talk to each other for the rest of the day because you had babies to take care of. You had food to prepare. You had elders to tend to. You had the sick to tend to. But that time in the morning was when the women gathered and told their stories. Someone might talk about, I just found out I'm having a child. Another one might talk about, my son went out on a hunt with his father. I'm so proud. Another might say, my grandmother is dying. And last night I heard her voice and I knew that it would be today, would be the day she passes over. So we would tell our stories, just our everyday stories. So that's what it's about. That's what it's about. And then on the vegan side, I've begun to sell sell my kale chips that I've been making for a couple years, dehydrated kale chips. And I'm turning that into a business that started this fall. It's exciting. People are loving my kale chips. I I don't know. I'm I'm kind of nervous that I'm going to have more business than I can handle, which is a good thing. That's Everybody, a great thing. That's a great thing. <laughs> but the point of it is it's fun. I'm loving sharing wholesome food with people who maybe have never tried it before, but it's something that's non-threatening. I mean, they're they're like chips. They're potato chips. Very non-threatening. And that's what's so cool about it is that even my meat-eater friends just love them. So I love that notion of sharing this part of myself and my life with everyone who wishes to share. Yes, I love it. Thank you so, so, so much for being on. I knew that you were going to be amazing. Oh. And I, I know that this, um, your story and our conversation is going to really, really help people move forward. And thank you so much again for giving us permission to let go and just be who we are and just take it, you know, one step at a time, one meal at a time and every morning. So I really appreciate that. Thank you. I'll make sure, of course, I'll make sure that I put all of your information at brownvegan.com. I'll put um, the Facebook group and your site and everything so that we can check you out. Oh, that would be wonderful. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.